G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. 85% of the stuff you worry about will never happen to you. Today I want to talk about the other 15%. When that thing that you feared actually does happen to you. When you hear the worst news imaginable and you wonder if you can survive it. The Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Pastor Greg Laurie helps us to put that hope to work. You do not have to be hopeless, no matter what you're facing. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Again, you hear all the angels are singing. This is the day, the day when life begins. It's a statistical certainty that someone listening to a new beginning right now has just received the toughest news of their life. Diagnosis, a court order, or an eviction, a phone call. It's often just a phone call. What do you do when you don't know what to do? On a new beginning, Pastor Greg Laurie reassures you that God knows, God sees, and God cares. Also, God's power is far bigger than crisis, and He can make a way where there seems to be no way. Why don't we grab our Bibles and turn to John chapter 11. And the title of my message is Hope for Hurting Hearts. It's a day like any other day. You get out of bed. You get dressed. You have breakfast. Cup of coffee. uh, Check your emails maybe. Hopefully you read your Bible before that. And then it happens. That phone call out of the blue from a police officer or a friend delivering bad news or a note on your counter from your spouse saying they want out of the marriage, a new pain in your body you had never noticed before, a call from your doctor saying he's concerned about a test that was just done on you and he wants to do some more tests. Crisis. It hits fast, it hits hard, and it takes no prisoners. Pain is knocked on your front door. It's moved in without your permission and it refuses to leave. And this crisis that you've experienced can alter the course of your life dramatically. In fact, you wouldn't even wish it on your worst enemy, but yet it's happening to you. That day happened to me on July 24, 2008 when we heard the news no parent wants to hear that our son Christopher had left this world and had gone on to the next one, that he was now in heaven. He was killed in an automobile accident. To say an event like that is devastating. It's it's an understatement. It's it's life-altering. I felt like all the air was sucked out of the room. I was in an immediate state of shock. I collapsed to the ground. I thought if I could die from hearing something, I literally could physically die from that information that was given to me. And somehow I survived it. And uh, so 
as I was dealing with this new reality that he did not want to face, uh, I had people who had gone through it say, you should keep a journal. Well, I've never really had a journal, you know. Uh, when I think of journal, I think of something a little kid has, maybe the little lock on it or something, a journal. And so I started opening up Word documents and just kind of typing my thoughts, the way I was feeling each day. And, and then they began to sort of take shape. And, and I read some other books on sudden loss. And, and I thought, you know, I want to share this with other people. So it turned into a little book that became known as Hope for Hurting Hearts. Now over the years I've written 70 books. I didn't say anyone has read them. I just said I've written them. Okay. <laughs> and this is probably the most important book I've ever written for the simple reason. I've heard so many stories from people who've told me how it helped them in an hour of crisis. And I wrote it from the valley. It's a dispatch from the valley of the shadow of death. It's not theoretical. It's real. Because it's close to when it happened in real time. And basically the book talks about what happens when pain or hardship comes. And in my case it was the loss of my son. And then the hope that I found from Scripture. The hope that I found from my relationship with God. The hope that has sustained me all these years and continues to sustain me as other hardships come my way. And this hope is here for all of us right here, right now. You do not have to be hopeless no matter what you're facing at this particular moment. You know, we have a generation that's been dubbed the hopeless generation. That's Generation Z, born from 1995 to 2008. The hopeless generation is also the most depressed generation. In fact, this generation, for them, antidepressants are the best-selling pharmaceuticals, and they also have the highest suicide rate. Well, listen, I have hope for the hopeless generation. I have hope for the millennials. I have hope for the baby boomers. I have hope for the greatest generation. It's the hope of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I want to share that hope. The Bible describes hope as an anchor. Hebrews 6.19 says we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And we need this hope. Because I'll tell you, when you're going through hardship, the thing that helps you are not pious platitudes. The thing that will help you is the Word of God. Psalm 38.15, the psalmist says, In you, O Lord, I hope. You will hear, O Lord my God. Psalm 130 verse 5. I'm counting on the Lord. I've put my hope in His Word. That's where we're going to find the hope. From God and from His Word. I just finished a three-part series, as you know, called God's Answer to Fear, Anxiety, and Worry. And one of the points I made was 85% of the stuff you worry about will never happen to you. Okay? So why stress out over that stuff? Today I want to talk about the other 15%. When that thing that you feared actually does happen to you. When the worst case scenario takes place. When you hear the worst news imaginable and you wonder if you can survive it. The answer is yes. Yes you can. For me at first it wasn't getting through the day. It was getting through the next five minutes. I felt like I had the weight of the world on me. I felt almost a physical weight on my chest. And I'll tell you what helped me was reading Scripture. See, living in grief and grieving 
is a little bit like wiping out on a wave. How many of you have ever been out in the surf and, and been thrown over the falls of a wave? Raise your hand up. Okay, that's most of you. Some of you, what, you don't go in the ocean? It, it seems to happen to everyone eventually. But I can think of times where I've been out there and, you know, when a big set is coming in, your inclination is to turn around and paddle towards shore as fast as possible. And that's a bad decision. Because then you're going to get hit in the impact zone. What you need to do is paddle out toward the waves. Try to go under them before they break. Keep going. Keep going. If you get to Catalina, you've gone too far. <laughs> but uh, I can think of times where I've gone over the falls, as they say. And so you're in like just the, like this washing machine of white water. And, and, you're, and you can actually lose direction. And more than one person has gone down when they should go up. So if you have a boogie board or some kind of a flotation device with you, it's probably attached to your leg. So here's what you do. If you're caught in white water, this is a tip for summer. You might thank me later. If you're caught in white water and you have a boogie board or something, grab your leash and pull on it. Go in the direction of the leash. It will always take you to the surface. Okay? So here's how it works for us. When we're dealing with grief, we don't know which way is up. We're losing perspective. The Bible is the leash you need. You grab the Word of God and you pull on it. And it takes you to Jesus. You get your head above water. You take a big gulp of air and you go, uh-oh, eight more waves coming. And now you got to go under them and under them. But the point is, the Word of God is what helps us in those times of need. You're listening to Pastor Greg Laurie from Harvest Ministries in California, USA on a new beginning today. Thanks for joining us. And he's offering some full-strength encouragement for those times when the bottom drops out of our lives. The message is called Hope for Hurting Hearts. Let's continue. Well, here before us in John 11 is a story of a loved one dying. It's a story of severe grief that accompanies the death of someone you love. It's also a story of how Jesus reacts in such situations and it tells us how God can actually be glorified through difficult circumstances. But it's also a hopeful message. So we will remember that no matter what we're going through, God is going to be with you. He'll give you the strength you need in your hour of need. Not necessarily before, never after, but He'll give you what you need when you need it. This is the story of Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Now, these people were personal friends of Jesus Christ. Jesus liked to hang out at their house. They lived in Bethany. And He would go to their home in Bethany when He would be going into Jerusalem. Whenever He went into Jerusalem, there was conflict. There was drama. There were things going on. So He'd go hang out with His friends first. And by the way, Martha was a killer cook. And I'm sure he loved her food, as did his 12 buddies. He took with him everywhere he went. So he'd just show up and Martha would whip him up a feast and Jesus liked to spend time in their home. And it could be accurately said that Mary, her sister Martha, and their brother Lazarus were personal friends of Jesus Christ. I think that's an important thing to note. And so as our story picks up, uh, hardship has come their way, sickness has invaded their home. John 11. Now a certain man was sick. Lazarus of Bethany. The town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was then Mary who anointed 
the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Stop there. So what do we learn from this? Here's point number one. Life is filled with pain, sorrow, and the death of loved ones. <laughs> is that not the most depressing point ever? Seriously. But it's true, unfortunately. Life is filled with pain and sorrow and the death of loved ones. Now, you don't know this so much when you're young. But as you get older, you start uh, seeing loved ones pass. It usually starts with your grandparents, then your parents, all very significant stages of life. But then it might be an unexpected loved one dying, like a spouse or a child, and that affects you in a dramatic way. So these things do happen. You don't know when it's going to happen, but it reminds you of your own mortality. This is just a reality of life. Point number two, despite the hardships of life, we must remember that God loves us. Despite the hardships of life, we must remember that God loves us. You know, shortly after my son went to be with the Lord, Pastor Chuck came to visit me, Chuck Smith. We sat on the steps of my home in front, and Chuck looked at me and said, Greg, never trade what you know for what you don't know. Never trade what you know for what you don't know, because when crisis hit, your mind is filled with whys. Why is this happening to me? Why, why, why? It's not fair. Other people don't suffer like this. Why? That's what I don't know. Don't trade what I know for what I don't know. Okay, what do I know? I know that God loves me, right? Do you know that? I know that God is in control of my life. I know that when a believer dies they go to heaven. Therefore I know that the moment my son left this world he entered the next one and he's there in the presence of God. I know that I will see him again. As David said when his child died he cannot come to me but I will go to him. So you can spend all of your time asking the why question, the what you don't know stuff, but go to what you do know and replace what you don't know with thoughts about what you do know. God loves you. Now this is very interesting because Lazarus was sick and they just sent a message to Jesus saying basically, Lord, your buddy is sick. Loose paraphrase. Your friend, Lazarus, is sick. They didn't tell him what to do. They just said he's sick. They figured, well, he'll take care of it. I think they were assuming Jesus would heal him and he could do that. He healed many people. He never uh, touched any two people the same way though. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes he'd speak to a person, they'd be healed. Another time someone would touch the hem of his garment, they would be healed. Uh, another time he would just speak the word and the person would be healed. And on one occasion a guy who was blind had Jesus spit on the ground, wipe his spit in the dirt and put it in the guy's eye. Here's mud in your eye, buddy. <laughs> now that was a weird way to see someone healed. Can you imagine coming for prayer? Pastor, would you pray for me? Sure. Hold on. No, I'm sorry. That's gross. But hey, that's what he did. So he could heal people. He didn't even need to be there. They probably thought he'd just say the word and Lazarus would pop out of bed and Martha would whip up a great meal and everything could be wonderful again. Yes, he loved them. But then here's an interesting little twist on the story. They say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. Verse 3. 
and then he basically delays his arrival. Look at verse 4. When Jesus heard that he was sick, he said, This sickness is not to death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now look at this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Therefore, therefore, when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Huh? What? When he heard he was sick, because he loved him, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Now that doesn't make any sense at all to us. And in the same way when hardship hits, we're saying, Lord, where were you? Why aren't you doing something? Why aren't you engaged here? Don't you even care? Well, I don't know that I can answer why Jesus delayed his arrival. But here's one little thought. Jesus knew ultimately that Lazarus was going to die. And so by the time he arrives in Bethany, Lazarus has been dead a number of days. But where did Lazarus go when he died? Does anyone know the answer? He went to heaven. The Old Testament version of heaven, if you will, known as Abraham's bosom, a place of comfort and bliss. So, hey, Lazarus was good. Maybe Jesus thought, I'm going to let the guy enjoy it for a little while. He'll be back here soon enough. And he won't be happy when I bring him back either. And then there was a plot afoot to kill Lazarus because the religious leaders were angry. He got resurrected by Jesus so they wanted to kill him. Man, that's miserable, isn't it? So maybe he just wanted him to enjoy it a little bit longer, you know. Have a little fun. Like when the kids are in the pool and it's time to go. And you say, let's go. Oh, let us stay. Okay, you can have five more minutes, all right. Jesus is thinking, let him have a little enjoyment up there. Life is going to get hard enough for him soon. But now here is Jesus waiting because he has a purpose in mind. You know, one of my favorite hope verses is Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. That phrase, a future, could be translated an expected end. Or as another translation puts it, a ground of hope or things hoped for. Basically God is saying there's going to be an outcome and ultimately it will be good. Some of you are saying, hold on now Greg, what possible future can I have with my loved one who has died? Here's the answer. If they died with faith in Jesus Christ, they're not just a part of your past, they're also a part of your future. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We will be reunited with loved ones again. And God will tie up the loose ends. And somehow, somehow, He's going to make this up to you on the other side. You know, we see the small picture. God sees the big picture. We see the temporal. He sees the eternal. And He has bigger plans afoot than what you're thinking about right now that will all be made clear to you in that final day. So in the meantime, you're going to have to just have hope. Say, well, Greg, actually, what is hope? Uh, One person defined it this way in this acronym, H-O-P-E, holding on with patient expectation. Hope is just holding on. Holding on, knowing that God is ultimately going to accomplish His purposes through it. Pastor 
Greg Laurie pointing out where to find hope in a time of true hopelessness. Some good encouragement today on A New Beginning. And Pastor Greg has more reassurance next time from this very personal message called Hope for Hurting Hearts. Hope you can join us same time tomorrow on A New Beginning. A copy of Pastor Greg's full message is available on CD from Vision Christian Store. Search Hope for Hurting Hearts at visionstore.org.au or call 1-800-00-50-11. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.